What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at Sports. Instagram is also at Sports. YouTube, TikTok, Immaculate Sports. It's episode 64. We got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. I'm excited for this one. NFL, full MLB uh, offseason. You know, it's been a crazy free agency. And it's uh, just getting good in college football, too. I got a uh, mm-hmm. final Heisman watch. We're going to talk about all the college championship games. Give our picks for that. Yes, sir. Ready. Let's go. All right. Uh, you want to start off with episode 64? So it's, it is uh, episode 64. Let's uh, let's do our favorite number 64. Skylar, who's your favorite number 64? All right. I went with a consistent one. Even if it, was, it wasn't a consistent career, he wore it his entire career. That's ah. pitcher A.J. Griffin from the A's. Okay. Uh, Brett and I, he's not here today. He's, uh, feeling sick, lost of voice and he's got some school. So just us today, but mm-hmm. we were talking about him. Uh, cause there's a player on Duke who's AJ Griffin. I'm like, Oh yeah. I remember AJ Griffin. He was great for us. Uh, had the glasses, the big right-hander and he, uh, went to Texas and got hurt. So it sucks, man. But, uh, I remember him. Yeah. He was injury prone for most of his career. If I remember even back when he was with the A's, yeah. uh, but my favorite number 64 uh, is a Hall of Famer in the NFL, but didn't really get his Hall of Fame career when he uh, was wearing number 64. He wore number 64, though, with the Baltimore Colts in 1950. Oh. And I'm talking about the kicker and quarterback, George Blanda, uh, legendary Raider, Hall of Famer, obviously, four-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, all and a three-time AFL champ. There you go. Yeah, before my time, but still a Raider legend, that's for Probably sure. Uh, with that being said, though, let's get to our opener. Skyler, what's your opener, man? I'm going to go with Lincoln Riley being hired by USC. Um, he leaves Oklahoma behind, which was pretty shocking. I didn't think this would happen. You know, we always get the Lincoln Riley to the Cowboys, Lincoln Riley to uh, whatever, TCU, Texas Tech, whatever's open every year. But he did it, you know, and this is my opener because this is huge for Pac-12 football and the West coast in general, I feel like the Pac-12 is pretty wide open right now, other than, you know, Utah and Oregon the past couple of years. Um, so getting these top recruits to the West coast helps us a lot. It helps the mountain West. I'm a big mountain West advocate. It's kind of like the farm system for the Pac-12 and, you know, they've been pretty good against the Pac-12. Uh, mm-hmm. so this is pretty cool. We even saw, uh, the number two prospect in the nation, the quarterback, uh, can't think Malachi of his name Nelson, right now. I think his name is. Hi, Nelson. Yes. Uh, yeah. Already decommit from Oklahoma. He's going to USC with Coach Riley. Uh, this is going to be exciting. Yeah, it's it's definitely good for the Pac-12. It's going to suck for Stanford as of right now because they're going to get shit on for a couple of years yeah. uh, before they start getting more and more recruits. But uh, nonetheless, it's good for the Pac-12, and they got something brewing over there with uh, three really good programs in, in USC, Utah, and Oregon, obviously. My opener, though, is going to be something I saw on Thanksgiving. Uh, and that was the Raiders getting back on track against the Dallas Cowboys in Jerry's world. And it started off hot with a Deshaun Jackson catch from Derek Carr, 56-yard touchdown uh, within the first four minutes of the game. And that's that's honestly as good as you could possibly start it for the Raiders. You get a, a three-and-out stop to start the game. You get the ball, and immediately you just – you score a touchdown and especially with against uh, or with a cowboy killer and Deshaun Jackson uh, rest of the game though, was pretty back and forth. Uh, and then it got down to overtime. 
uh, where Raiders got a stop on, on defense, and then Daniel Carlson ended up kicking a 29-yard field goal to win it. Uh, Darren Waller ended up getting hurt in this game. Uh, looked pretty bad originally, but ended up being just a strained IT band. Uh, so that's going to be kind of interesting with if he plays this week, he is questionable. I know that. Uh, Daniel Carlson, man, how about that guy? I mean, five field goals in, in that in that game, and he's been rock solid for the, the Raiders so far this year. Yeah. Uh, same thing with A.J. Cole, the punter. I mean, he's number one in net yards in all of uh, football, I think, or, or just total yards. But nonetheless, he's been a great, great punter for the Raiders and a team that has had a lot of great punters in their career. Uh, with that being said, though, Derek Carr played really well, got back on track, 24 for 39, 373 yards and a touchdown. The Raiders are 6-0 and when Derek Carr throws over 300 yards, and he did that. Uh, and if he doesn't throw uh, for over 300 yards, he is 0-5. So see how that goes uh, in the future, and if that – Tendency continues to play out. Hunter Renfro led the, the game in receiving with eight catchers and uh, 134 yards. So career day for Hunter Renfro, one of my favorite receivers as uh, Rares continue to try to get back on track with the Washington football team coming into Las Vegas over yeah. this next weekend. Uh, do you want to do the Jet Report before we do the Immaculate Sports Play of the Week? Might as well get it out of the way. Uh, so we, we hit the trifecta with all our teams this week. The Jets got the win 21 to 14 over the Texans. Zach Wilson did not look very good in the first half. Uh, seems to be the case with him and all of his starts this year. But, you know, he got his shit together in the second half. Good enough to get the win. Only had 145 yards. Did throw an interception. Um, but Tevin Coleman was great stepping in for the injured Michael Carter. And it was all about the defense. John Franklin Myers got that big contract a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we were kind of waiting for the breakout game. And here it was, you know, two sacks and a big deflection that he caught, making mm-hmm. it his first career interception. You know, and um, another big game for Quinn and Williams. He also had a sack. Uh, and Quincy, his brother. That's that's kind of cool. Got the two brothers on the same defense. That is cool. uh, but, you know, Mekhi Becton's probably not coming back this year. He's been out since week one. Michael Carter's out for a long time. Uh, and by long time, I mean three to four weeks. So, you know, NFL-wise, long time. It's all about watching Zach Wilson grow. It's all about seeing this defense uh, trying to learn how to cover. You know, we got so many practice squad dudes playing in the secondary. Like, giving up 400 yards a game would be all right with me. And they shut down the Texans this week, so I'll take it. Also, before I leave, I forgot to mention, Jets have the Seattle pick. We mentioned a couple times with any new mm-hmm. viewers, you know, you know, our Jets followers like us, I guess. Uh, they got Seattle's pick. Uh, we're not very good. They're not very good. Projected to have the number four and the number five pick in the draft. So that's huge. We're rooting for Seattle to lose. Uh, and we're rooting for our young guys to get better. That's the Jet Report. Yeah, that's a, it's. Perhaps a, a turning page for the Jets here soon with if They've they get those two top one. five picks. Uh, <laughs> with that being said, though, let's get to the Macfield Sports Player of the Week as we do every week. We actually had voting this week, and these were the sure. four guys. The first one was Buccaneers running back Leonard Fournette. Uh, playoff Lenny arrived early this year, and he had 17 carries for 100 rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns, as well as seven catches, 31 receiving yards, and a receiving touchdown four total touchdowns in the Bucks win over uh, the Indianapolis Colts. And then there's a rookie cornerback, Patrick Sertain, uh, where he had two touchdowns and 
the game ceiling pick six in uh, uh, the Broncos win over the Chargers. We had Michigan's running back, Hassan Haskins. They beat Ohio State for the first time in like eight or nine years. Uh, but 28 carries, 169 yards, and five rushing touchdowns for Hassan Haskins. Practically did what Kenneth Walker did against Michigan a couple weeks ago. And then we also had Joe Mixon. Uh, Bengals running back was just dominating in the first half. And then come the fourth quarter, Bengals were up by so much that it they didn't even use him, uh, but he had 28 carries, 165 rushing yards. That's a career high and two touchdowns. And this is how the voting went. So 12.5% of the votes. We had Pat Sertain. So he comes in last. Hassan Haskins only got 16.7% of the I votes. For him. Uh, I did not vote for him. Uh, we had Leonard Fournette getting 20.8% of the votes. That's who That's I voted, who voted for. for yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Joe Mixon with 50% of the votes wins his first Immaculate Sports Player of the Week. And what was really cool about this is that Leonard Fournette and Joe Mixon were my two running backs in fantasy this week. So, Wow. Just bragging that you got healthy running backs. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> I mean, I do have Michael Carter, <laughs> but I did trade him. So. All right. That's that's going to be interesting down the stretch, uh, but they don't really know much about our fantasy football league, so we won't talk about that for mm-hmm. long. We'll just get to the MLB free agency roundup, and the first thing that we're going to do, we're practically we're just going to go through all the main deals that have been signed, uh, and then from there, we'll talk about the best ones, the worst ones, and what's going on with that. Yeah. Uh, so first off, uh, with the catchers, we had Manny Pena signing a two-year deal with Atlanta, Jan Gomes signing a two-year deal with the Cubs. Uh, Roberto Perez, a very good defensive catcher, signs a one-year deal with Pittsburgh after they traded away Jacob Stallings to the Miami Marlins. And as of a couple minutes ago, Jorge Alfaro got traded to the Padres, I believe. So that is hmm. a, a new thing that just happened. Uh, on the first baseman, Brandon Bell, we talked about him last week, I believe, with him accepting the qualifying offer. Uh, second baseman, we had a big deal with Marcus Semyon signing a seven-year, $175 million deal to go to the Texas Rangers. Uh, and then there was also Leary Garcia, uh, one of the most underrated second basemen, uh, three-year deal with the Chicago White Sox to return there. Uh, third base, Eduardo Escobar signed a two-year deal with the Mets. I believe that's just two for $20 million, uh, and a good power spot going over to the corner infield spot with the Mets. And then with the shortstops, we had a couple big deals so far with more on the way with Correa and Story. But the two deals that did get done was Corey Seager, a 10-year, $325 million deal, signing with the Texas Rangers. Over the span of two days, the Rangers spent $500 million in between Semien and Seager. That's the most they've ever spent in franchise history. That's a lot of money. Uh, It is a lot of money. Uh, And then we had Javier Baez uh, last night or early this morning signing a six-year, $140 million deal with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, and that takes us to the outfielders now, where we had Mark Canna, unfortunately, leaving the A's, signing a two-year, 26 or $28 million deal with the, the New York Mets. So congrats to Mark Canna. Clint Frazier, one of the top prospects in baseball a while back, uh, was DFA'd by the Yankees about a week ago, and the Cubs took a chance on him signing him to a one-year deal earlier today. Cubs are going to be Probably. fun to watch, I feel like. Yeah, I don't know about fun to watch it. I mean, it's always cool when the team plays in Wrigley, but I don't know if they're going to be the best squad. Uh, but I, nonetheless, uh, I got some fan with, favorites. Yeah, he has some <laughs> decent upside. 
uh, with Clint, Clint Frazier coming into uh, the Gubbies. rotation, but the, to the Cubs. Then. Uh, center fielders, Sterling Marte, one of the, our favorites as well, signed the four-year deal with the New York Mets, so he remains a teammate with Mark Canna uh, and cashes in on a four-year $78 million deal. That takes us to right fielders now, where Avasayel Garcia signed a four-year, $53 million deal with the Miami Marlins. Uh, and then Cole Calhoun returns to the AL West, but not with the Angels. Uh, signs a one-year deal with the Texas Rangers. Now on to the pitching side of the ball. Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of stuff here, so we'll take some time with me here. Uh, the first one is Max Scherzer signing a three-year, $130 million deal with the New York Mets. Uh, so DeGrom and... Uh, Max Scherzer in the same rotation is going to be is going to be very scary, but a couple guys are probably leaving in that rotation. One of them already did leave, and that's Noah Syndergaard. Then the second one being Marcus Stroman, who is a free agent this year as well. Kevin Gosman left the Bay and went up to Canada, a uh, five-year, mm-hmm. I believe, $110 million deal uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays. Eduardo Rodriguez, I think we talked about this last week a little bit, signed a five-year deal with the Detroit Tigers. I don't exactly remember the, the money on that one. Robbie Ray uh, decided to go a little bit south and a lot more west, uh, all the way to the Seattle Mariners uh, to sign a five-year deal over there. So the Cy Young is moving. Uh, Anthony Desclafani signs a, or re-signed a three-year deal with the Giants. John Gray uh, also went to the Rangers, a four-year deal over there. Uh, so one of those Colorado pitchers that we really don't know how good he is, uh, since he was in Colorado his whole career, finally gets out of there and signs with the, the new up and coming Texas Rangers, Andrew Heaney. This deal happened about 20 days ago, just signed a one-year deal with the Dodgers. He sucked with, uh, the Yankees when he was traded there in, uh, the trade deadline, but now he is getting a fresh start with the Dodgers. We'll see if he makes a rotation over there. I doubt it. Uh, Steven Matz signed a four-year deal with St. Louis. Corey Kluber signed a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Rays. He was hurt a lot last year and uh, finally gets another shot over there. And then two more. Uh, Justin Verlander re-signed a one-year deal with the Houston Astros. And then Noah Syndergaard signed a one-year deal with the Los Angeles Angels. I think we talked about that a little bit last week as well. That's about it right now. So a lot done. A lot to still go. Uh, CBA is going to expire tomorrow. We'll talk more about that. That's dangerous. (laughs) Yes, we will talk about that. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk more about that later on in the show. With that being said, let's talk about the deals. Which deal was the biggest overpay, Skyler? I'm going to say Max Scherzer. Three years, $130 million to the Mets. I think he will be great next year. And I think they did have to spend this much to get him, but it'll bite him. A year from now, he's 37 years old. He threw 180 innings last year and he got dead arm in the playoffs last year. You know, if you're the Mets and you're completely carried by, I know they've spent, but come on, it's the Mets. They're going to be completely carried by that starting pitching next year. Uh, you can't have a guy like Max Scherzer just not be able to start a playoff game. And I think that's going to be big for them. Maybe not next year, but in a year or two, it'll definitely bite them. That third year is kind of interesting to me, especially with how much money they gave him because you're really just over or paying for those first two years and then overpaying in the third. So we'll see how that goes with the, the Mets. But nonetheless, one of the best pitchers in baseball over the last oh, for years sure. going yeah. to the Big Apple. Uh, so congrats to Max Scherzer on cashing in on a big deal. 
But my biggest overpay, uh, first off, is Javi Baez, six yeah. years, hundred and forty million for the Tigers. Tigers, I guess, did not want to spend on Correa because he would have been a little bit more expensive, and decided to go and take a chance on Javi Baez, a, a guy who I. I've never really been a fan of just the way that he plays and the way that he strikes out a lot and doesn't walk uh, in a day of age where walking and not striking out is a big deal. Uh, he plays tremendous defense, but six years, $140 million is not a deal that I would want to sign, especially for the culture that he kind of brings uh, to Detroit, especially after what we saw with all the fans and stuff in New York last year, his short stint over there. Another one that I was kind of confused about was Steven Matz. Four-year, forty-four million dollar deal uh, to to go to the Cardinals. Maybe they just Matt's really a, needed a lefty. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Matt's is a decent pitcher, but four years kind of just seemed a little bit too long. Uh, Why I, not a, I, a Heaney type deal, right? Yeah, I don't know. I thought maybe two years. I mean, he's better than Heaney, but four years is a lot of time. So I don't know if I would have given a, a ten million dollar commitment mm. per year uh, to a guy that I really don't know how he's going to be in a couple years. On the other side of the overpace, there's the bargains. Yeah. What team uh, or which deal is the biggest bargain for the team? All right. This is a guy who was set to hit free agency next year. Now he doesn't have to because he got seven years, $100 million. That's Byron Buxton. I think this is a huge win for Minnesota because it's not that much money. And if he's healthy at all, like I said, massive win for Minnesota. Their roster is kind of weird. It's a mix of vets and young guys. Um, but I feel like they could go all in at any point. Uh, you know, Polanco already locked up. Now Buxton is uh, maybe get some pitching and move on from, I don't know, one of the infielders, the corner infielder, Sano or, uh, or Donaldson, and try to get an upgrade. Other than that, uh, pretty big for Minnesota. Yeah, they're in a weird spot. I feel like they're they're not a playoff team, but they're also not like a seller team. Uh, so when their prospects come up in, in a year or two, I think that's really when they they start saying, "Hey, let's let's make a big big deal and yeah. uh, sign sign a guy." But I mean, I don't really know how much money they're willing to spend uh, with the money that they already have spent. So we'll see how that goes in the future. But my best bargain. It's going to be Episayel Garcia signing a four-year, $53 million deal with the Marlins. Uh, Baez and Garcia have very similar OPS plus uh, as well as uh, WRC plus. So, I mean, you're practically getting the same guy. And Garcia isn't a prick either. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I mean, Garcia, maybe he wasn't the greatest uh, in the outfield in 2012 in the wild or in the divisional round when he yes. bobbled a ball in like, uh, the A's win in game four. But he's a decent defender, so when you're getting that and some decent speed as well, I think that's a pretty good deal for the Marlins, uh, who made some moves in this offseason so far. And we'll talk about that maybe in this next question, and that is what team has made the best moves so far? All right, so I think we can agree that the Mets have the best haul, but I'm going to go in a different direction for this. I'm going to go with the Texas Rangers. All right, Semyon and Seager, you already got – if not the best middle infield in the MLB, pretty close to it. The mm -hmm. John Gray signing is it's, it's all upside. Like you said, we haven't seen him away from cores yet. Um, you can only assume it's going to be better than a four ERA. And I think Texas will take that. You know, they were starting Mike Fulton last year. Who, I mean, he had a little comeback at the end of the year, but he gave up the most homers by far 
And uh, I think you mentioned Cole Calhoun too. You know, it's just just little upgrades, you know, and I hate to see it as an ace fan, but this division's wide open and Texas is is making plays. Yeah, there's definitely four different teams that can can win the division, uh, with the A's being the one that can't. Uh the Angels, I they if they somehow stay healthy, which we kind of know that they mm. won't just because that's how the Angels are. Uh if the Angels stay healthy, they'll be right in that race. The Mariners, I mean, we saw how good they were at the end of last year. They're only gonna get better. The Rangers, I don't think, are really in that conversation of winning the division, but maybe can mm. some can turn some heads once the regular season starts and if they uh, continue to get better depth uh, rather than just uh, the two main guys like uh, Seager and Semyon. And then there's obviously going to be the Astros. They're there every single year. Even without Correa, I think they're definitely going to make a, a solid push in that division. But my team that made the best moves, I think, is Miami Marlins. Mm-hmm. Uh, they traded for Joey Wendell today. They only give up their 21st best prospect, so it wasn't like they got any, gave up anything crazy. Wendell was an all-star, I think, last year. So he uh, – or he should have been an all-star, if that's what it was. Uh, and he – yeah, he's a, a good middle infielder. They traded for Jacob Stallings, one of the best defensive catchers in all of baseball. They signed Avisayo Garcia to that four-year, $53 million deal like I was talking about, and they re-signed Sandy Alcantara to a five-year, $58 million deal. Uh, and people were like, why, why is he not getting paid that much? That's because of the arbitration and stuff like that. So they practically pay him through that, I think, a year or two after that as well. So the Marlins are making some moves. So obviously, they have loads of pitching in, in the minor leagues as well. So we'll see how that goes for and them. And you think they're gonna they're not done either. You think they're going after one of the big guys, right? I think they could go after a guy like Correa if they really uh-huh. wanted to. Uh, I really don't know what their budget situation is on, on or if they really want to spend. But Correa would be a big guy for them to pick up uh, for, for that team. Another honorable mention uh, is the Mets, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Scherzer, obviously, Marte, um, Canna, the, those three guys alone, as well as Eduardo Escobar, are going to make a big difference for the Mets, uh, who have a pretty damn good roster at this point. Yeah. On the other side of that, though, there are some teams that haven't really done much and that we expected to be like big, highly involved in this free agency. Uh, what team are you so are you surprised about with their little involvement so far? I think there's two that are really close, but I'm going to go with this one first: the Yankees. Uh, they finished third in the East last year, and everyone else is just getting better. I think you just got to swallow your pride and sign Carlos Correa. It just seems like a perfect fit. You know, slide him over to third base if you want to. Move Urshela. Short, I think he was playing short last year. Urshela, right? Um, God's shaking so. his head at me. You don't like it? Uh, well, Correa's not moving from short. I can guarantee you that. He's he, not gonna sign a he just reminds me so much of A-Rod. He's a but, better. He's so much better defensively. His arm's so strong. True. It's like you have to play him at short. Yeah. But my my other team, I want to just give a quick shout out to the Dodgers. Are just sitting there watching all their players leave. And my one note for you, Dodgers, is you can't start Zach McKinstry at shortstop next year because you will not win 107 games. Well, that's why you must start Gavin Lux at shortstop. Same same fucking thing, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the teams that I think need to have more involvement, one is the Yankees. Uh, Correa, I don't think we'll sign there because just they're not going to sign him. That wouldn't be a hit with the fan base. Uh, Trevor Story, you know, obviously, is the I know other your big shortstop. Story. And so yeah. Story is the guy the Yankees have to pursue 
And if they don't get him, then they're kind of just screwed. Uh, two other teams that I thought would have had a little bit more involvement were the Giants. Uh, we've all really seen guys leave from them or guys that we thought that they were going to be in and, and not and not get completely, obviously. Uh, like Gosman was gone or is gone now. Semyon was the guy that they were talking to. He's not there, obviously, anymore. Same thing with Max Scherzer. Uh, and then lastly, I think the Padres have to have a little bit more involvement. They, as we've seen the last few two, two or three years, AJ Preller is a very aggressive GM. He's going to try to do everything that he can uh, to get his team to win. And he really hasn't done that quite yet, which is, is weird to me. Uh, I thought Marte would have been a really good fit for them. Uh, but now, I mean, you trade for Olsen, <laughs> that, that would make stuff better uh, for them at least. So we'll see how that goes. But with that being said, I think it's time to talk about the CBA. All right. So, Kyle, the CBA is expiring tomorrow at 11.59 p.m. And we've been talking about this for, I think, about four or five years now. Mm-hmm. That We are definitely going to lock out. Uh, there's just way too much drama going on in the MLB. There's disagreements everywhere. And we want to talk about some of the proposals we've been hearing. Uh, I guess we'll start it off with uh, a new playoff format. So seven teams from each side. And obviously this would be big. Uh, The point they're trying to make is we see more teams hovering around the 500 mark. uh, Go for it. Going for it at the trade deadline, Uh, which I agree. That would make things really hectic. Uh, But the big thing about this proposal was that the division winners – pick who they want to play in the wild card game and i know kyle uh had a great point about it i don't want to steal it from you so go ahead yeah so when when you had this has never been something that i don't think maybe in hockey or whatever but i don't really pay too close attention to that uh where you actually get to pick who you want to play uh so say if there is the yankees here and we know about that yankee astro rivalry now uh, with all the cheating and stuff and the Yankees not being happy that maybe Altuve stole an MVP from judge and, and whatnot. So say if the Yankees win their division, uh, say the Mariners win the, the AOS in this, this, uh, this scenario and uh, the two teams that the Yankees have to choose from in this to play are the Houston Astros or I don't know, the, the Kansas City Royals. So, so they get to choose a team that they have no history with uh, in the Royals or a team that they have a lot of history with, with or uh, a lot of rivalry, bad blood with in the Astros. If the Yankees, say, choose the Royals instead of Houston, you know Twitter is going to be popping with, with that and all the Astro fans are going to be going crazy. Oh, you're scared of us, blah, 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 blah. Or, or if... If, say, a team picks a certain team and that team that they picked beats them in the postseason, that's going to be some trash talk as well. Mm-hmm. So not just with fans, but also with the players on the field. Say, hey, you want to, you wanted to pick us to, to play? Uh, yeah, we beat you in three games. So how does that feel? You know, I, I'm for this. I like mm-hmm. this a lot. Um, I know adding more and more playoff teams uh, is tough. It might turn into the NBA eventually, which, you know, it's all good for the NBA, you know, but it, it seems like, especially for a 162 game season, you want to be rewarded yeah. more, but at this point I'll take it. This seems fun. 
<laughs> yeah, the MLB playoffs, I, I think, are really – or I'm – after listening to the proposal of picking teams, I think that would be really cool. I could see ESPN hosting a selection show or something like that. Uh, <laughs> Brian Cashman on, up there, like, yep, we'll take the yeah, Orioles. October – Aaron Judge saying, hey – uh, we are going to play the Houston Astros in the ALDS or something like that. I think that'd be really fun. Uh, but I do really like the exclusivity of the MLB playoffs. And I always mm-hmm. have, that's a point I always like to make because even though 10 teams make the playoffs in the MLB, it's really only eight because you have the one or the two teams in each one in each league, uh, they get eliminated after one game in the, in the wild card game. So that makes it so eight out of 30 teams really just get to make the postseason. I think that's really, really cool. So it makes the playoffs such a big deal. And uh, winning your division you know, or just making the playoffs in general is a big, big deal in baseball rather than, I mean, in football, for some teams, it is making it, it is a big deal like the Raiders because we haven't made it in forever. But say if you're the Patriots, making the playoffs is no big deal. Uh, but if you're the Red Sox, making the playoffs is, is a big deal. 100%. Yeah. All right. And uh, the next one, it's pretty short and sweet here. A draft lottery for the MLB drafts. Uh, they want to prevent tanking at the end of the season. Uh, and again, you know, I, I'm for this one. Uh, I don't see a problem. I don't, you know, I have a strong opinion either way, but this will tie into our next one. But I think with this system, it, it would be every non-playoff team in the lottery, right? You read it mm-hmm. to me? Okay. Uh, I feel like we would see more top prospects up at the end of the season than we really, really do or should be having. You know? Yeah, I don't really like the draft lottery in, in, in basketball because even though there is a draft lottery, we see tanking like even more, yeah. so people can get the best odds to get to get the players. In. And I think we see tanking the most in, in basketball than any other sport, uh, which is the only sport that has that that lottery. Uh, and I've never been a fan of it. I think the worst team should get the the first pick every single time. I mean, you're the worst team. You get the best pick. If you want to waste a year and just being completely bad to just get a single player, especially for a guy who isn't going to impact your team immediately because that's just not how MLB works, go ahead. I mean, be bad. Torture your fan base and see how that goes. So I do not want a lottery. That's for sure. All right. The next one and the last proposal we're going to talk about, it's service time manipulation. Um, mm-hmm. So we've seen this uh, specifically Chris Bryant a couple of years back. They held him back. He was ready to go mashing in AAA and they didn't keep him up in the majors uh, because, well, for this season, you know, uh, he's a free agent instead of last year. Uh, but, yeah. but the point is they want to change this. It's, it's six this is years. This is the MLBPA right that wants to change this, by the way. This isn't. Um, the, yeah. Sorry about this. The owners. Yeah. You know, I'm, not the greatest public speaker. My bad. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, so I, I seen a proposal for making it just twenty nine years old, right, for a free agent instead of just six years of service time. They, I believe, they were going to do an either or uh, okay. with that because, uh, or I think they should do an either or because there's, yeah. you get situations like where there's a Juan Soto or, or Carlos Correa guys that came up super super early at like twenty twenty one years old that are automatically stuck for nine years with, yeah. with their team. So, I mean, do you even nine years, that's like half your career. And then that takes away from these mega contracts uh, that we see for, for certain players. Uh, 
where you get those 14 million or 14 year deals. Cause MLB is the only sport that gives you like over 10 year deals. And I think that's really, really cool. A cool part about baseball. And you immediately throw that away if you're making people stay on the team until they're damn near 30. Yeah. I don't think this is it. I think maybe a system where once you reach the higher levels of the minors, your clock starts. Uh, I think that could work, but maybe. this, this is a no for me. Yeah. I'm not really too sure. Maybe if they did like 27 or six years of service, I think that'd be uh, possibly good. Uh, but then you'd also get those, those, players that come up like I don't think Matt Chapman came up until he's 24 yeah uh, and so you have him for three years and then he's gone uh, especially with a team like the A's where you don't have your players once they get past arbitration mm. uh, it's that's a weird situation so I think the best possible thing is they just make it if someone call gets called up in certain any time of the year they they use that whole whole year or, or something mm. like that but then that would make it so people just don't call their guys up completely until the next year. So maybe just keeping it the same way is the best idea. Yeah. All right. And the last thing I want to talk about uh, just came out today. The MLB admitted, sorry, not the MLB. I know people, people get mad about, about that. MLB admitted to using two different baseballs this year. One this year that was completely different, uh, you know, normal baseball, a little heavier. Uh, you know, they experiment a little bit every year. And then also in games, they would use the ball from a couple of years ago where it was a little more bouncy. And that's when the home run uh, craziness spike. started. Yeah. Yes, the spike started happening. Uh, this is crazy that they I, have, I, mean, I haven't seen anything like this. This is the first time I've heard about this. So I know they like to experiment and I'm all about that, but not at the major league level. Right. So you got the Atlantic League for, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, down there, they're trying out different pitch clocks. And uh, that's where they first tried out the three batter rule, you know, and we're like, you know, this worked here. Let's bring it up to the majors. Yeah, that's um, where they did the the runner on second base for extra innings mm-hmm. as well. Uh, I think that's actually going to go way, I'm pretty yeah. sure. I know seven inning double headers is, is a big thing that they want to get away from because those were stupid. Yes. So. Hopefully Especially when you throw a no hitter in one of those and it doesn't count. Yeah, Come exactly. on, MLB. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, this could spark an even bigger problem because, um, you know, still having problems with either the ball, stuff getting put on the ball, you know, it's we're in for a long winter meeting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that is going to wrap up the first half of baseball. Yeah, actually, you know what I think would be oh, yeah? pretty cool that just popped into my mind is, uh, so with double headers, uh, instead of playing two nine inning games or two seven inning games, you just play a total of 18 innings. So say mm-hmm. not, not in one game. So oh, say okay. if you have a double header scheduled that game or that day and the first game goes, uh, say 13 innings. Uh, so you take all that time away and then you have a second game that ends up just being in a five inning game. Uh, that okay. can go to extras, obviously, but since you play uh, 13 in the first one and then five in the next one, that makes it 18. So you still kind of keep your pitching, but you, you're not playing the, f- the seven inning games, which are kind of stupid in my opinion. Uh, or, I mean, that obviously ends up being just two nine inning games if you play it normal. So I don't know. That's something that just popped in my head now. I think that'd be interesting. I don't know if that'd be the best idea, though. The first thing I thought of when you said that to me 
was the op- not the opening scene, but the first scene in at real time in Moneyball, where <laughs> all the old scouts are sitting around going, "What? Who? What are you talking about?" Like they, they know, <laughs> what the hell you're talking about? <laughs> How many games are you playing? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's something that I just popped up into yeah. my head now. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. Yeah, let's go to halftime though. Yeah. Uh, all right. First thing that we do every halftime is we just talk about the other games that happen in the NFL. And so let's go through the Thanksgiving games first. Thanksgiving started with the Bears and the Lions. Uh, Bears won 16 to 14. Pretty boring game. Uh, DeAndre Swift got hurt. That was kind of the big news in this one. Then we had the Raiders being the Cowboys in overtime, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, and then we had the nightcap with the Bills and the Saints. Saints had 14 starters out in this one. And they get crushed 31 to six, kind of what we expected. Uh, Tredarius White, star corner for the Bills, did tear his ACL in this one, though. I think Skyler's going to talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about that in the NFL injuries part. Uh, but yeah, he's out for the season, obviously. And then on Sunday, we had a whole bunch of games. Bengals destroying the Steelers 41 to 10. Uh, Joe Mixon, like I said, had his career high in rushing in that game. Uh, Buccaneers and the Colts actually produced a very, very good game uh, 38 to 31. Gronk returned after missing a few weeks. I'm pretty sure. No, he's back the week before. But nonetheless, he had 120 yards. Uh, Carson Wentz played well. Leonard Fournette, four touchdowns in this one. That was the main story. Panthers and the Dolphins. The Dolphins crushed the Panthers 33-10, to and Cam Newton sucked. Uh, that's pretty yeah. much the main story in this one. I think he had a 5.8 passer rating. So, <laughs> tough one uh, for Superman Cam. Uh, but Jalen Waddell on Miami played a really good game. I think he had his best career day. Uh, with nine catches, 137 yards, and a touchdown. Patriots destroy the Titans. We'll talk more about the Patriots in the second half as they win 36-13. to Dontrell Hilliard, uh, running back for the Titans, he got elevated from the practice squad last week, and then uh, I don't think he started this week, but he was uh, the main ball carrier for them, had 131 yards, including a 68-yard touchdown uh, for the Titans. I think that was their only touchdown. Giants and the Eagles played a shitty game, 13-7. to Giants win, and they are only a game out of the playoff race in the NFC, which sounds really weird. Falcons beat the Jags 21-14. to Cordero Patterson was the main person in this one. 16 carries, 108 yards, and two touchdowns for the wide receiver, kick return, or running back. Uh, basically just gadget guy. Jets beat the Texans, like Skyler said earlier, 21-14. to Broncos take down the Chargers. Another inconsistent game for Justin Herbert where he threw a couple picks. Uh, and the Broncos win. Uh, a big game to keep them in the playoff race. Packers take down the Rams 36-28. to Aaron Rodgers played good. A.J. Dillon had 69 yards on the ground. Uh, even though there wasn't really any rushing room for that whole game. And the Packers won a big one, moved to 9-3. and Niners and the Vikings played a very important game. Uh, 34-26 to win. For the Niners, Elijah Mitchell, 133 yards on the ground. The two big stories in this one is one, Dalvin Cook uh, tearing his other labrum, even though he had his other labrum teared as well. So he has two torn labrums, likely out for a couple weeks. We don't know if he's going to go on IR yet, but a big blow for the Vikings as they try to make the playoffs uh, here again. And then the Niners, uh, Debo Samuel, gadget, uh, MVP, guy that you could throw in the MVP race, uh, got hurt. Uh, I think it's his thigh. I forget what it was, though. Uh, but he's likely out for this week and maybe out next week as well, but not going to be placed on IR, most likely. 
Ravens played an ugly one against the Browns on Sunday night. Lamar Jackson threw four picks, but they still won 16 to 10 due to their defense. Baker did not look good and he looks hurt. We'll talk more about him in our second half. And then we had the Washington football team and the Seahawks playing a very shitty game as well on Monday night. Antonio Gibson, though, had over 100 yards. Russell Wilson did not look accurate the whole game. DK Metcalf only had one catch. And uh, after knocking the two-point conversion to tie up the game with about 20 seconds left, Seahawks didn't get the onside kick. And then Taylor Heineke took a knee to win the game 17-15. Uh, to 15. And that caps week 12 as we head into week 13 uh, with Thursday night being the Cowboys and the Saints. Yeah, games weren't... I mean, they were close games, but there were a lot of weird games this week. Mm-hmm. And like you said, a lot of them were shitty. And... So are the injuries this week. We'll start off with J.D. McKissick. Last night, carted off with a scary neck injury. Um, But he said uh, today, a couple hours ago, when they asked him about it, he said, oh, I'm all good. So, yeah, yeah, he's going to be just fine. Uh, Pretty lucky. We've seen two scary neck injuries, and both ended up being completely fine. Uh, The other one, Daryl Taylor, Seattle, if you didn't see. Um, Kyle mentioned Christian McCaffrey. With the ankle injuries out for the year, this one sucks, you know, not even for fantasy reasons, just he's one of the most exciting players in the NFL, and we're going to mm-hmm. see another incomplete season from him. Um, another running back, Dalvin Cook, torn labrum. Again, like you said, they say it's not season ending, but the loss to the Niners does not help with the, the wild card push, of course. Um, Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts has a sore ankle, and they're hopeful he'll start against the Jets. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> Saints running back Alvin Kamara he's been battling with the knee injury and limited in practice this week so far uh, but I think the big question for New Orleans Taysom Hill was preparing to start uh, on Thursday against Dallas uh, has a foot injury and is now questionable uh, but he practiced fully today uh, so keep an eye on that Aaron Rodgers broke his toe, but he's not going to have surgery. He's going to be all right and uh, hold off. And anything else big? Uh, Can't really think. Kyler and Hopkins, hopeful. Yeah, they should be back. Mm. All right. And if you didn't mention Darren Waller as uh, week to week. Yeah. Again, another guy who got lucky with an injury. uh, It could have been a lot worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. We ready to move on to college football? 100%. All right. So we got to start off with Michigan getting the big win over Ohio State, 42 to 27. They ran the ball down their throats. Uh, Hassan Haskins at 169 yards, five touchdowns. And uh, Michigan's in line for the playoff. You know, they just got a lot of win and they're in. And, uh, you know, very important thing to remember for Ohio State is they don't really have any playmakers on defense. This may be like the first time in recent memory they don't. Um, so we might be seeing a lot of freshmen out there for him next year. Uh, the next game, the iron bowl, Alabama barely beats Auburn in fourth overtime. I couldn't watch this whole game. I had to go to work, which sucks, but it was 24, 22. Um, Auburn's defense was just nasty in the, the first three quarters of the game and first three and a half, three and, three and half. three quarters of the quarters. Dude. And, uh, Looks like with 24 seconds, big drive from uh, Bryce Young down the field. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they move. Sorry, I didn't watch this game. I'm just reading this. 
Uh, yeah, they had a 97-yard drive uh, to end the game. <laughs> or not end the game, but send the game to overtime. And then once it got to overtime, you could kind of tell the Auburn was just trying to do anything they could do to continue the game. Uh, and Alabama was just doing anything that they wanted, basically. Uh, so it got down to two-point conversions, uh, like they do once they get to third overtime uh, in college football. Third overtime was fine for both teams. I think they both scored. And then in the fourth overtime, Auburn could not score. And then uh, I think it was Mechie one-on-one. He ran a zig route uh, and beat the guy, uh, the corner for for Auburn, and uh, ended up winning the game for Alabama. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. And the last game I wanted to talk about, Oklahoma State getting the win over Oklahoma, 37-33. to I did get to watch this one while I was working. Got yelled at a bunch, but it's all good. Uh, Caleb Williams played pretty good. Three touchdowns, had a a comeback week. But Spencer Sanders, 200 in the air, 93 on the ground, quarterback for Oklahoma State. And they get a shot at Baylor. And, you know, even though it's not looking great right now, they do have a shot at the playoff. Yeah, they definitely do. They need some help with uh, some losses. But with that being said, is it time for me to go over the college football playoff rankings? Yes, sir. Awesome. So these came out at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time today. Uh, So we're filming this about two hours after that came out. I'm going to skip 25 through 16 because that doesn't really matter at this point. Uh, But 15, Pittsburgh, uh, Oklahoma drops four spots to 14 after their loss against OK State. Iowa uh, is at number 13. They will play Michigan in the championship game. Uh, this upcoming week, BYU moves up one spot to 12. Michigan State bounces back, beats Penn State in what was very football weather game uh, where it was snowing the whole game. And it just, it just looked cool, to be honest with you. Uh, so they go up one spot to number 11. Uh, Oregon goes up one spot to number 10. Baylor goes down one spot despite winning uh, to number nine. Ole Miss goes up one spot to number eight. Ohio State obviously loses to Michigan. They drop from two to number seven. Uh, Notre Dame is uh, going to stay at number six. Uh, Skeller talk about their coach here in a minute, <laughs> or the lack of coach here in a minute. Uh, number five, OK State. They go up two spots uh, as they play Baylor in the championship game here this weekend. And they need some help uh, from these next few teams. Cincinnati stays at number four, though. Bama, despite having a close one with Auburn, a shitty Auburn team, don't get me wrong, uh, stays at number three. Michigan, after beating Ohio State, goes from five to number two. Uh, and then Georgia stays at number one. And Georgia's really the only team safe here. They're the only team in this that can lose and be completely fine. All right. You want to talk about uh, the Converse Championship Week? Give our sure. picks. We got our picks. Go. Uh, I'm on the spreadsheet right now. Skyler, yeah. take the lead. All right, so the first game, it's going to be the Conference USA Championship game. That's Western Kentucky against UTSA. Neither are ranked right now. I know, sorry, Kyle, it's, uh, I don't have the upgraded rankings on here, but you get the point. Yeah. I went ahead, ahead. And, uh, yeah. and picked uh, UT San Antonio. Are they still yeah. undefeated? No, they're not. Oh, well, they're going to win this one. Okay. <laughs> I know. I don't blame you for not having uh, – much to say here. It's the CUSA, but I'm going to pick Western Kentucky, uh, UTSA, no longer undefeated. They looked horrible last week. And uh, Western Kentucky's got, you know, the most prolific passer in the nation right now. Uh, Bailey Zapp, Zappy, however you pronounce it. He's got 50 touchdowns, mm-hmm. uh, number one in passing yards. So 
I'm going to go with, uh, with the Hilltoppers in that one. All right. Uh, also on Friday night, the Pac-12 championship game. That's going to be Oregon, number 10, against Utah, number 17. Yeah, we have a neutral location in this one at yeah. Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Uh, so I'm going to go with Oregon. I know they got dick slapped by Utah yeah. a couple weeks ago. But, I mean, things change in college football, and I think uh, Oregon's going to come back and, and win the Pac-12. All right. Um, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think that matters because Anthony <laughs> Brown has been very inconsistent. That's the Oregon quarterback. And Utah's defense. Kayvon Thibodeau. Yes, Kayvon Thibodeau should have a big game. But the Utah defense is going to be the big story here. I'm taking Utah. Uh, They're going to smack around Anthony Brown once again. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) we got to talk about the MAC championship game. You know, it's all about the MACTION. It's Kent State against Northern Illinois. Uh, Kent State 7-5, Northern Illinois 8-4. Yeah, I don't really uh, know any player on any yeah. of these teams, uh, but I went with Kent State. Yeah, I do know one. Northern Illinois quarterback, Rocky Lombardi. He played uh, quarterback for Michigan State last year. Mm-hmm. But uh, Kent State smacked him around a couple weeks ago, so I'm picking Kent State. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, now back to the important games. The Big 12 championship game, that's Baylor is number nine against Oklahoma State number five. Yeah, I'm going with Oklahoma State in this one. Uh, Spencer Saunders like actually looked really, really mm-hmm. good in this last game. I know he threw a couple picks, uh, but he was running the ball completely fine. Uh, defense looks good, or they didn't look that good against uh, yeah. Oklahoma, but nonetheless, they're still a very good defensive unit, and I think they're going to take down uh, Baylor for the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, I like that pick too. I'm going to go with Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, Again, defense wasn't perfect against Oklahoma, but I think it's going to be just fine against Baylor. And uh, the next game, we got the Mountain West Conference Championship game. That is San Diego State. They are number 19, and they are playing Utah State. Boys like the Aztecs. I'll go with the SDSU. Oh, yeah. San Diego State, uh, disgusting defense this year. I got to go with them. And I hate Utah State. So Utah State's the Aggies, right? Yeah. I uh, knew it. The fake Aggies. Yeah, All right. Uh, so then we got the Sun Belt Championship game. We got Louisiana Lafayette, number 24, going up against App State. That's the Raging Cajuns, am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm picking them. Yes, I am picking them too. Um, they won't have his coach for that game, though, uh, or their coach for this game. That was opposite uh, adjectives. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but they did destroy App State when they played them earlier this year. So I'm going to stick with them. You know, we got the trend rolling this year and uh, we should be just fine. Uh, SEC championship game. This should be one of the best out of all of them. we got number one, Georgia against number three, Bama. I'm hoping Georgia wins this one. Uh, so Bama kind of gets kicked out of the playoff. Yeah. Uh, I like Bryce Young, uh, quarterback of Alabama, obviously. And I like the receivers a lot. But I think it's also fun if we get to see Oklahoma State uh, go against some of these teams and have uh, some some interesting matchups for sure in this playoff. Yeah. I mean, if Alabama struggles that bad against Auburn's defense, what do you think is going to happen against on. Georgia? They should Probably get like, shit on. Yeah, and that's what I'm predicting. Negative points in football. I guess we're gonna find out, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, a big one for Kyle here: the American Conference Championship game. That's number four, Cincy. They're playing number twenty-one, Houston. Cincy by a milli. Yeah, I like Cincy, too. I think this one's going to be closer than people think, but, uh, you know, I got to roll with Cincinnati. They've been proving me wrong all year. Uh, Big Ten championship game. 
Number two now, Michigan is playing number 13, Iowa. Uh, this one's kind of just because I think it'd be really funny. Uh, yeah. Iowa taking down Michigan. Uh, sorry, Alex. Uh, Michigan will probably win. But I'm picking Iowa because upsets happen in college football, man. They do, but for some reason this year, I feel like it's just different for Michigan. I feel like they're going to run the ball down Iowa's throat again. Should be close because for whatever reason, every single Big Ten game ends up being close. Even the uh, Ohio State-Michigan uh, game ended up being a two-square game. But uh, I'm taking Michigan. Hassan Haskins, man, that defense is dirty. And the last game we're going to talk about is the ACC championship game. That's Pitt, number 15, against Wake Forest, number 16. I know I have Pitt on there, but I'm going to change my pick to Wake Forest. Their offense is just a little bit too crazy for me. All right. And uh, I'm going to end up picking Pittsburgh here. I think it's going to be a great uh, finale to Kenny Pickett's career here. I feel like he would uh, opt out of the bowl game, probably. You know, I don't see him get a New Year's Six Bowl. And uh, this is probably the biggest game of his career, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's off to the NFL. So uh, going with Pitt here, uh, farewell to Kenny Pickett. All right. Uh, what do we got next, Heisman? Uh, yeah, Heisman. All right, let's go. It's uh, going to be probably not my final Heisman prediction, but this is it, man. You know, there's, yeah. there's not much changing after this. Um, so I got three honorable mentions. Um, the aforementioned Kenny Pickett. Is on there. He had 4,000 yards this year. Number five in the nation. Uh, could go up because some of the other guys don't play this week. I can mm-hmm. see him finishing like third. Uh, 40 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Has a chance to win the ACC championship team for a Pittsburgh team that uh, was not projected to be anywhere near there. So mm-hmm. good for him, man. Uh, another honorable mention. I'm going to go with Desmond Ritter. 33 total touchdowns, eight interceptions. He didn't have the greatest year um, individually. But the way he beat down on on the American teams, the way he's he's been able to stay undefeated, even in in the close games where the defense collapses, you know, it's uh, it just shows the type of leader Desmond Ritter was this year. Mm-hmm. And my last honorable mention, it's going to be C.J. Stroud. Uh, he kind of gets screwed by me here, going from number one to honorable mention. Uh, Thirty-eight touchdowns, five interceptions. Uh, not a horrible game against Michigan. But the voters are just starting to vote now, and that's going to be fresh in their mind. Yeah, uh, you're not going to be able to to win if you can't beat Michigan, especially no. uh, if you you don't have the the chance to play in that conference championship game as well. And I guess uh, you know some of these other guys get bumped up big by me too, so it's it's tough for them. So now we get into the top five. My number five guy, brand new to the list, it's going to be Aiden Hutchinson, Miami defensive end, thirteen sacks Miami. this year. Michigan, sheesh. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, everybody. Uh, 13 sacks this year. That's a Michigan school record. Um, and he, him and Hassan Haskins single-handedly beat Ohio State, you know, and Ojabo, too. Can't forget oh, about him. Ja-bo. But a uh, great season for Hutchinson. He is looking like either the number one or the number two pick. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with Matt Corral. 31 total touchdowns, four interceptions. I know some of these guys put up better numbers. But for me, you know, he had high expectations coming into this year. And he did even better than we could imagine. You know, we took an Ole Miss team that it's not a great roster. And they're 10-2 and two right now. They're going to go play in the Orange Bowl or whichever bowl isn't in the playoff this year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And just, he just proved he's quarterback one in the draft. You know, it's, uh, that earns, uh, some points in my book. All right. Number three, I think this is the most outstanding player in college football, but I bumped him down just cause he's not going to win it. It's Will Anderson, Jr. Uh, defensive end for Alabama. He had 14 and a half sacks this year. That's number one in division one. And this isn't official because I don't know if they have tracked from the Auburn game yet, but as of right now, 26 and a half tackles for loss. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. This guy would be going number one overall if he wasn't a true sophomore, but we got to wait another year, but great season for Will Anderson. Number two, I'm going to go with Kenneth Walker, Jr. The third, sorry, Kenneth Walker, the third Mm -hmm. Michigan state running back. He had 1,600 yards this year, 19 total touchdowns, you know, coming out of nowhere, transferring from Wake Forest. And I know they didn't end off the year great, but, uh, you know, big win against Michigan. And uh, there's always, there's always this guy, it's usually a running back too. You know, like I said, just comes out of nowhere and just destroys everybody. And an ACC third down back tearing up in the Big Ten is so impressive. Mm-hmm. And my number one right now is going to be Bryce Young. You know, not great against uh, Auburn, but he's got 40 touchdowns, four interceptions. And I mean, come on, it was one of the best offenses in the nation. And this is probably Alabama's worst team in years. Yeah, but do they have their best quarterback in years as well? I think that's very possible. I think it's very possible. And that's why he's number one. Go. All right. Uh, coaching carousel some uh, big moves already it's not done yet uh, you mm-hmm. know obviously the season's not done uh, but Lincoln Riley we talked about he's leaving Oklahoma and he's going to USC the other big one we haven't talked about Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame for LSU taking over for Red Orgeron this one's big kind of a weird one too to say the least it is weird um, but I feel like LSU needed that type of culture change, you know, uh, Brian Kelly doesn't take no for an answer. <laughs> so maybe that'll finally get him in the right direction. Uh, I think maybe the biggest one other than Lincoln Riley, of course, that's the biggest one for sure. Um, university of Louisiana head coach, Billy Napier is going to Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this guy completely turned around the, the Cajuns program the past couple of years. Um, and you know, he, he's staying close to home. That's going to be cool. Uh, another one here that I didn't know happened. Fresno State's head coach, Kalen DeBoer is going to Washington. He's going to the Huskies, uh, should be interesting. You know, obviously we're going to see a revamped PAC 12 here in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, hopefully he sticks around, you know? Yeah, right. true. There's a lot of stuff that happened in college football, but let's get back where the money's made in the NFL. And the first yes. thing that we're going to talk about is, uh, involves uh, an Alabama quarterback. It's not Bryce Young. It's not Tua Tonga Viola. It's not uh, Jalen Hurts. It's not A.J. McCarron, believe it or not. Uh, but we're talking about the Patriots and Mac Jones. Are the Patriots the best team in the AFC? I think it's really close. And the answer could be found out Monday night when they play mm-hmm. the Bills. But right now I'm going to say Kansas City. Uh, they got this defense right now where they're running cover zero against these young quarterbacks and they have no time to make a decision and it's working for them. Obviously the offense is finally connecting uh, with Patty Mahomes turning the ball over less. Um, 
I still think it's the most dangerous team in football. I'm going to go ahead and say yes for the Patriots. I mean, they have a great defense and an offense that's getting better week by week with how uh, Mac Jones has been, has been playing so far. And let's, let's just, I mean, they are, they're on a six game win streak right now. Let me go over those six games for you so far. Uh, the first one, I'm not going to say who it was against Thank because guys not going to get too happy <laughs> with it. Uh, but nonetheless, they win by 41. The next game, they win by three in LA, a pretty tough game nonetheless against the Chargers. After that, they beat the Panthers by 18. After that, they beat the Browns by 38. After that, they shut out the Falcons and won by 25. And then over this past weekend, they beat the Titans by 23. And I know none of those teams are really like top, top tier teams. And they get a great test this weekend against the Bills. But they're doing what any top, top team would do against those teams and blow them out. Like it's it, these games aren't even close. And, and so I think the Patriots... As of right now, they have the best defense in all of football, in my opinion, and they uh, their offense is not that bad as yeah. well, and that that gives them the best team in the in the AFC, in my opinion. All right. Next part uh, is something I was kind of just curious on because uh, yeah. we talk or we don't talk about home field advantage, but I think about home field advantage all the time, uh, whether it be baseball, basketball, the NFL, hockey, whatever it may be, and and hostile home field environments or. Uh, environments of playing for road teams. So which team has the biggest home field advantage in all of football? I think it's got to be one of the cold weather teams. I think the Patriots are really close. I would not want to play there. But right now, I'm going to say Green Bay. I think this team is not playing up to their potential, and they're still 9-3. and three. I think that has a lot to do with Lambeau. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, they don't play all their games there. They have Aaron Rodgers, but I'm going with Green Bay. Yeah, I'm not going with Green Bay. I think Green Bay was a pretty close one. I think New England's another close one as well. Uh, but when the weather gets cold, the place you don't want to play is Kansas City. Uh, they have an offense that will get – if you're down by 30 or if they're down by 30, it doesn't matter. Their offense, if they score one touchdown, it turns into four. And next thing you know, they're right back into the game. Uh, and like we've seen in the past, I mean, Kansas City is perhaps – and I think it is the loudest place – uh, and all the pro sports as far as like decibel system goes. Mm. Uh, so Kansas city is a tough place to play. I know the Raiders play there next week, uh, not this upcoming week, uh, but I think on the 12th or whatever. So that's going to be a tough one for the Raiders. Uh, and Kansas city is a very, very tough to play, tough place to play. And I think that's the, has the best home field advantage in, in all of the NFL. All right. Now we have a very simple question, uh, but very complex as well. Is Kirk Cousins good or bad at football? I like this one a lot. Mm -hmm. I think Kirk Cousins is good at football. He's just not great at playing quarterback. You know, it's, it's a tough point to make when you're, you know, sitting on a chair. I'm not out there playing, but I feel like not being able to have... I know it, this is tough. I'm just going to say it. Having crazy comebacks, you know, some quarterbacks, they're expected. You know, Tom Brady has a two-minute drive. You expect him to make that play. Someone like mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins, you just don't. I look at a career like uh, Jay Cutler, you know, he has a great season, 10, 11 wins, you know, uh, pretty accurate. And then the next year, he could go 6-10 and 10 with the same exact roster, same coaching staff. You know, I, I think it's a very similar situation. He's just... He's just not consistent enough, I feel like, yeah. to be a star. 
I feel like Kirk is a good QB who performs his worst when the team needs him the most. Uh, and people like he just two weeks ago, people might say, oh, he well, he just he had a great game against Green Bay and they won and they destroyed they destroyed or they didn't destroy him, but their offense was very dominant. Kirk threw for 340 yards and three touchdowns, no picks against Packers secondary, who's been pretty good this year. Uh, and that's that, that was a big game. And yes, it was. But the bigger game was the game against the Niners this past weekend. Uh, and he didn't play well. I mean, he lined up behind the right guard on one of the plays. Yeah. And that, that's not something that I don't even think Nathan Peterman would do that. So I think he is a good quarterback. He plays his best when nobody's watching, and he plays his worst when everybody is watching. Now on to Baker and the Browns. I mean, th- this yeah. has been something that's been talked about for the last few years uh, as far as, like, when Baker's contract is up, what do the Browns do with him? Do they want to keep him? Do they want to try to maybe go in another direction? Because tr- finding QBs is, are hard, especially when you play in Cleveland and their history to, over the last 20 years. So what – what are the what should the Browns do with Baker and what are they going to do with Baker at the end of the season? I'm not a Baker hater. I see the blueprint of what's going on in Cleveland. So take this as you will. I think he's going to get very lucky. Um I feel like he's not being held back by the offense. The offense is designed to hide his weaknesses. Mm-hmm. and obviously he's hurt right now. He should not be playing. That doesn't help him at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, but he, he's, he's tough as nails. That's for sure. You got to give him that. The thing though, about, about your question specifically is that this is not a great quarterback market. There's not a lot of guys out there. The quarterback giraffe class this year is, I mean, you know, guys always rise up to the top, but there's no one that is going to change the league, change the way people play. Um, so for that reason, I think he gets paid by the Browns and maybe they rethink this in four years from now. Yeah. Four years is a big commitment. Uh, but when you've been as bad as the Browns have been over the last 20 years and you see something relatively decent compared to, to what you've been dealing with before, whether it be Manziel, Deshaun Kaiser, uh, fuck any of the other quarterbacks that you want to name, uh, and you have something somewhat decent you want to immediately latch onto it as soon as you can i think that's what the browns are going to do and what they probably should do Mm -hmm. uh maybe don't sign baker to a five-year deal but maybe a two or three-year deal uh where he kind of just gets to prove himself a little bit more uh and then you also draft a qb i think uh maybe not drafting a qb high but say the second or third round like a kenny pickett guy uh where he he isn't going to be the starter, but he promotes QB competition. And if Baker ever does bad or gets hurt, you really get to see. Take Jake Hanner in the fourth, you know? Yeah, so something like that <laughs> rather than uh, having to rely on Case Keenum if Baker does get hurt. And no. so I think that I think that it, the solution, sign Baker short term and draft a QB as well. All right. So we do our awards, our award picks every single week uh, in the NFL. We're doing them a little bit differently this this week. We're going to do our top five for MVP like we always do. But we're also going to do every single award, not just uh, Defensive Player of the Year and Rookie of the Year. We're going to do Opoi, uh, which Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year, 
comeback player of the year and coach of the year. Mm-hmm. We're not going to give you a top five for every single one. Don't yeah. worry. You don't have to sit through that. We're just going to do the winner and the runner up for it. So let's start from the bottom and go uh, to the top. I mean, all awards are treated equal, whatever you want to say, except yeah. for the MVP. Uh, first off, coach of the year. Who's your runner up? My runner up is going to be Cliff Kingsbury. Um, that offense has been so dynamic this year when their guys are healthy. And even they got a big win with the backups in that. That just proves Cliff is uh, he's put a system in there that is working. Yeah, Cliff's really, really good. And the, the way that they've been able to win over the last few weeks without uh, Kyler Murray, I think, is another good case on why he should be in this conversation. But I'm going to go ahead and say Zach Taylor as my, my mm-hmm. runner up guy. Uh, seven and four season for the Bengals so far, and they've won some very tough games. Uh, they have some more tough games down the stretch, but I mean, Zach Taylor's done a great job with, with changing this team in a very short amount of time. And we didn't even think they'd be decent this year. So them being good and in the playoff race, obviously is a big deal uh, for Cincinnati. And that's why Zach Taylor should be in the conversation, but who is the winner of coach of the year for you? The winner's got to be Bill Belichick. I mean, he's got the number one seed in the AFC with Mac Jones playing quarterback. I mean, come on. Hey, no slander on Mac right now. He's been playing great so far. Uh, but I'm going with Bill as well. Uh, not only a coach of the year, but also in like GM of the year yeah. as well. He's been so smart. Philman's roster and the scheme fits have been absolutely perfect so far. The chemistry on the team is amazing. Uh, and he's got some of the best players in all the NFL on his team. And that's maybe not the best roster in the league, but one of the best fits. That's why they're so scary. Yeah. Uh, so Bill Belichick is my coach of the year as well. Now on the comeback player of the year, always a fun uh, award to talk about because you really yeah. can't go wrong with a lot of these picks. So who is your runner up together? I feel like it, there's two guys in play here. I'm going to go with Burrow as my runner up. Burrow is, uh, I think maybe you're forgetting one guy. Really? Uh, I'm going with Nick Bosa coming off of the torn okay. ACL. Uh, he had, a, he has 11 sacks right now, 16 tackles for loss. That leads the NFL. Uh, sure. Max Crosby is better in my opinion. But he did, isn't coming off of a torn ACL, uh, so uh, Nick Bosa, okay, runner up for for comeback player of the year. Yeah, um, and number one's going to be Dak Prescott. Uh, very gruesome ankle injury, and he's doing his thing this year. You know the Cowboys look legit uh, most points during the season. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know true. they're going to cowboy it up eventually. It's just expected. Yeah, I think the Cowboys will be fine this year. I think the division title is obviously very in reach. Uh, from there, I don't know. We'll see, but I think the bright, the future is bright for that team. Yeah. And Dak Prescott is my winner of comeback player of the year for sure. Now on to defensive rookie of the year. Who's your yeah. runner up, Skyler? Runner up's going to be Patrick Sertan, corner from Denver. Um, great season, especially in the second half. He's been he's been great the past couple of weeks. Big game last week. Yeah, he was on the Max Sports Player of the Week yeah. uh, poll for a reason. Uh, but I'm going with the safety that has two picks and two sacks on the year. And that's Javon Holland. He's been absolutely great for Miami so far. Uh, and really cool to see him doing well. Uh, oh, yeah. So he's my runner up. He's from our now neck on, of the woods. Exactly. <laughs> now on to winner. And I think I know who this one is. Yeah, it's got to be Micah Parsons. He's great rushing the passer. Great in coverage. Pass deflections, man. Sacks, tackles. He's He's doing it all for Dallas. And uh, this is a team who usually has an entire hurt defense by now. And Parsons is doing his thing. Yeah. Michael Parsons is my, 
defensive rookie of the year as well. He broke the Cowboys rookie sack record. I think that was he did on, on Thanksgiving. I really haven't gotten to see Michael Parsons too close uh, other than that first week one game when he wasn't even playing the position yeah. uh, that he usually does. Uh, and watching him play on Thanksgiving, obviously close to when they were playing the Raiders, uh, this kid's legit, man. He he and uh, like Crosby and Ngakwe, where they just get in in there every single play is something that that he does, and uh, that's not something that you have too often from a lot of pass rushers, especially at the young age and I wouldn't say small frame, but undersized frame uh, for yeah. what he for what he is. Next is our offensive rookie of the year. I think we're going to have very similar guys here. Uh, who is your runner-up? I'm going to have a different number two. I'm going to go with Harris, Najee Harris from Pittsburgh. His usage rating is ridiculously high. He's like 56%, only second to Jonathan Taylor, and he's a rookie. So he gets a nod over Jamar Chase for me. Yeah, I love Najee, but I feel like maybe the usage rate maybe shows that he's less efficient. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of weird to okay. say. Uh, but nonetheless... Jamar Chase is like sixth in receiving in the NFL right now. So I'm going to go with him as a runner up. I mean, there's not really a wrong answer, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cause we all know who the winner is at least this far in the season. Yeah. Uh, tell me why Mac Jones is rookie of the year. Offense rookie of the year. You know, people said that he was the most NFL ready uh, in the pre-draft process. And I think that's true. I don't necessarily think he's going to be the best out of these guys. He might not even be in the top, you know, uh, this is hard to explain. He might be at the bottom of the first round quarterbacks, you know, but he was ready to play the short passing game. And that's what Bill set up for him. You know, he's in a system to succeed. I'm not trying to knock him. But mm-hmm. I think that is why he's rookie of the year. You know, he, obviously he's not turning the ball over like crazy, but that's that's his job. Yeah, he is like a young Tom Brady, and I think that should be very scary for the rest of the league because he is a guy. Uh, he well, he's playing like an old Tom Brady uh, in the sense of his uh, talent and ability right now. But he obviously has time for his mind to develop, and not as smart as a forty-year-old Tom Brady. But he. I mean, he's smart with the ball. He he makes good, accurate throws. Obviously, they're pretty short throws, but he's getting the job done. Uh, and just like how the Patriots have been, I mean, he's been he's been lucky with, with what Bill Belichick gave him on the defensive side of the ball. Maybe not the best weapons on the offensive side, but uh, yeah, he's in a very good spot in New England. Yeah, I knew this was going to be scary when it happened on draft night for sure. Next up is Depoy. Uh, who is your runner-up guy? I can't decide. <laughs> Has really? TJ Watt missed too many games? I, I think? think so. That, that makes you it think really so? tough. Yeah. All right. Uh, then I got to tie with with uh, Matt Judon and JC Jackson. The two New England guys are my runner-ups. My runner-up is going to be Miles Garrett, 14 sacks. Uh, I'll, I'll let Skyler talk more about him because I know yeah. he's going to be his defensive player of the year. But Miles Garrett is my runner-up. All right. And so, yeah, Miles Garrett's the, my defensive player of the year. Um, I just feel like when you're the most consistent edge rusher in the league right now, that's healthy. I, I know he hasn't uh, had the forced fumbles, maybe lost some ball skills. He's trying to be nicer to quarterbacks uh, <laughs> after what happened with Pittsburgh a couple years mm-hmm. ago. But this is one of the most dominant players on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Let's hear uh, it. Let's hear it, Kyle. 
My winner of Defensive Player of the Year is actually going to be J.C. Jackson. Okay. He's been so good so far this year. Uh, seven interceptions. He forced a fumble over the weekend as well. Uh, and he is Mr. INT, like I said last week. Yeah. So J.C. Jackson, I mean, he, he's the – when you have the best defense in the league and you're the best player on that best defense in the league, uh, I think the Defensive Player of the Year is definitely within your reach. All right. Uh, next on to Opoy. Uh, who's your runner-up, Scott? Opoy. I'm going to go with Cooper Cup as my runner-up. Uh, having a great season, obviously on pace to break a bunch of records, but you know, he's expected to get seven catches for 90 yards. That's what he did last week. So mm-hmm. I feel like if he doesn't uh, break that norm here soon, he's going to get forgotten about. I'm not necessarily saying that's what should happen, but I feel mm-hmm. like he kind of goes under the radar. Yeah, Opoi is a very I'd say I'd say it's the most unique award that there is on here because you don't really know who to put. Does the yeah. person who doesn't get MVP just go immediately to Opoi, or does the MVP also get Opoi? Uh, I usually just try to stay away from quarterbacks in this mm-hmm. this and just let the the other guys go. Uh, so my two runner ups are Debo Samuel and Jonathan Taylor. Taylor leads the league in rushing by about three hundred yards. Debo does everything, uh, so that's why he's on my runner-up spot. But who is your winner, Skyler? My winner is going to be Taylor. Um, you know, like you said, the uh, efficiency may not be there for Taylor. He didn't have a great first half against Tampa, but he is completely carrying this this indie offense to what could be a playoff year. And I know Carson Wentz has been pretty good this year, but. Without Jonathan Taylor, this team is nowhere near where they are right now. Yeah. Uh, I am going to go with Cooper Cup as my winner. Uh, he, has, he has 92 receptions at this point in the season, or 1,237 yards and 10 touchdowns. He is he's insane, uh, to be honest with you. And I kind of – my decision here is, okay, who's going to break more records? Is it going to be Jonathan Taylor or is it going to be Cooper Cup? Probably Cup. And I say cup. So that's why I'm going with uh, Cooper Cup as my offensive player of the year. Now let's go to who the MVP. Do you have any honorable mentions? Skylar? I do have cup. I want to shout him out. I dropped him just because uh, I looked at the numbers and thought about it and was like, you know what? This guy probably has a better chance at this point. Yeah. Uh, I and my honorable mentions went with Debo and Joe Mixon. Uh, I also decided to leave all the wide receivers off this list. I think it's very weird to say, a receiver is the MVP because the quarterback has to get him the ball. Uh, and sure, the people will be like, oh, why do you put running backs on all this? Because the, the running back doesn't have to get the ball from uh, the, like the quarterback doesn't have to throw the running back the ball. They mm-hmm. just have to get it. They have to direct snap it to Derrick Henry every single time and he can win MVP for you. And so that's why I have running backs on this list. Uh, that's why Debo made the list. Uh, that's why I kept Cooper Cup off okay. this list. Next up, uh, number five. Yeah, number five, I have Josh Allen. Uh, he's thrown a lot of interceptions this year, but so is Tom Brady. That's why he makes the list. He has very similar numbers to Brady. And, you know, like I said earlier, uh, I think this game, New England-Buffalo, is going to say a lot about the AFC. And mm-hmm. if he pops it off, he could be way up this list next week. Yeah, 100%. Uh, number five for me going up from honorable mention last week is going to be uh, – Patrick Mahomes by week last week, but nonetheless, Mahomes has turned around the Chiefs last few weeks. Uh, 25 touchdowns, 3,200 yards, 11 games. Uh, and that's why he's number five for me. Next yeah. up is number four. 
Number four, I have Mahomes staying in the four spot. Got the bye week, obviously, but you know he's starting to turn things around. Kansas City's turning around, and this guy is—he's still amazing, even if he uh, turns into Brett Favre for a couple games, throws a bunch of picks. Yeah, he th- those expected interceptions are becoming interceptions for the first time in his career, yeah. uh, which seems really, really weird to see. Uh, but my number four is actually going to be J.C. Jackson. Uh, like I said earlier, best defensive player on the best defensive team in all of football. Uh, and so he's at number four for me going up from unranked last week. All right. Next up is number three. Number three, I have Jonathan Taylor. He's the top Opoy guy for me. That's why he's here. And, you know, for all the reasons I just said, uh, Jonathan Taylor is the Colts offense right now. Going up one spot from last week for me uh, at number three is going to be Aaron Rodgers. Uh, another good week for A-Rod. Uh, they go on their bye now. He has that broken toe, so hopefully he can heal up uh, in that time being, but who knows. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers has been amazing, man, uh, especially when he doesn't have COVID. Uh, so he's number three for me. Next up is number two. Number two, I have Aaron Rodgers. Um, and, you know, it seems like he hasn't even tried this year, <laughs> and he's still putting up great numbers. That's why he's number two. I think he could win back-to-back MVPs if uh, my number one uh, – doesn't start turning it around a little bit, and we'll get into that. I, I think you that know what I'm talking about. That sounds weird to say. Number one doesn't start turning around. <laughs> yeah, bit. right. It's been that kind of year, man. Yeah. Uh, but Rogers, great, looking like uh, the NFC favorites right now. Yeah, 100%. Uh, number two for me is going to be Tom Brady. 30 passing touchdowns uh, at 44 is not something that should be happening, but it is with Tom Brady. Uh, so he's number two for me. And who is your... NFL MVP through 12 weeks of the season. My number one is still going to be Brady. Um, it's tough, you know, but not a lot of players, you know, even with, with the struggles he's had this year, have the same numbers that he does. And I know they've lost a couple games that they probably shouldn't have. But when this is all said and done, I think we're just going to see it. You know, we're going to see that Tom Brady is still the most valuable player. And it's insane. Man, he's 44 years old. Yeah, it is pretty damn crazy. But number one for me is going to be the same guy that I had at number one last week, and that's Jonathan Taylor. Uh, a down week for him where he had 83 yards and a touchdown. Uh, that's not really a down week for anybody else in yeah. the NFL. Uh, but he still averaged over five yards a carry against one of the best, if not the best, uh, rush defenses in all football of, of the Buccaneers. Uh, so Jonathan Taylor stays at number one. I think if the Colts find a way to make the playoffs, he definitely stays as that number one guy. All right. With that being said, that's all the awards uh, that we're going to go over today. That's all the awards that they really give away in the NFL because we don't know who's going to win Walter Payton Man of the Year, uh, obviously. Uh, so let's get to our picks. And let's... <laughs> They're going to give it to uh, – never. I won't say it. Never mind. I'll tell you there later. You <laughs> uh, let's go to our layups uh, from last week. Our layups actually were very successful. Uh, I think we got a clean sweep for the first time in a while. Granted, we only had two picks, not Brett's pick as well. Uh, I had the Buccaneers minus three versus Indianapolis. That fourth Leonard Fournette touchdown really saved me there as yeah. they win by seven points. Then Skyler had Las Vegas plus eight at Dallas on Thanksgiving. Raiders won. Uh, so obviously that covers as well. Just had a feeling. Exactly. Uh, this week, uh, I decided to go Minnesota minus seven versus Detroit. Uh, that is a interesting pick to me. Uh, cause whenever the, the lions play a close game, they end up usually getting blown out the next one. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Alexander Madison. I hope you get about 45 fantasy points. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Oklahoma State minus five and a half against Baylor in the Big 12 championship game. Last time they played, Baylor only scored 13 points, I believe, against them. And Oklahoma State's coming off of a big win against Oklahoma. I I like OK State big in this one. Yeah, Uh, let's go to our bold predictions now. Uh, we'll talk. It's going to be funny. I'll explain here in a second. Uh, we both got ours wrong uh, this week. Uh, I had Minnesota over San Francisco plus that was a plus three pick, uh, but I had the money line for it. Minnesota did not play as well as I expected and ended up losing in that one. Then Skeller had Oklahoma over OK State uh, and that one got wrong. Uh Skyler, yeah. I will let you do this one first, and then I'll explain why I, well, I chose what I chose. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with the Patriots over the Bills on Monday Night Football. Trey White is out. That's big. You know, obviously, there's some, some playmakers on the Buffalo defense, but Mac Jones not having to worry about avoiding an entire side of the field is big. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think we've ever had this before. Uh, where two of us are going to choose the exact same thing, but I'm going to choose the exact same thing because I really don't like any other bold predictions in the NFL this week. Okay. Uh, and so I'm going with New England over Buffalo as well. I believe that's a two and a half or three point spread right now. Uh, so it's not the boldest prediction, but nonetheless, yeah. you, you still get some money back if you. I had a similar strategy. You know, I, I thought about Detroit, and I was like, wait a second, they're the Lions. You know, come on. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm going with New England in this one. Uh. I mean, I guess we'll hope New England wins uh, for me and Skyler's sake. Uh, and then we'll, we'll both get our full prediction right. But with that being said, yeah. that's going to be the end of episode 64 of the Going the Distance podcast presented to you by Macklin Sports. Uh, I mean, what a fun episode, man. It's been long, but we have gotten the job done. That's for sure. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, kind of bad timing. Tomorrow we find out if we go to an MLB lockout. We will. Uh, but, we will go through it and we'll be locked out. We just find out what it's really going to be. Yeah. Uh, so obviously we'll be talking about that next week. Uh, we might have the final four for college football playoff. I'm not sure if they do it on Tuesday or they'll do it later next week. I think they're uh, doing it on Sunday. So, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, still interesting stuff. Just make sure you tune in. You know, go check out the Twitter. That's at a Max Force. Kyle's doing his thing. We got videos, highlights. You know, if you can't watch the game, you don't just get the text. You get the clip of the highlight. Exactly. You want to see Joe Mixon score a one-yard touchdown? Look at it, man. Just yeah. go look at the tweet. Uh, tweet's been really good recently. Uh, we had our most interactions that we've ever had over a weekend. Uh, so if you Very haven't nice. followed yet, go follow on Twitter, man. Go follow on Instagram because uh, we're pumping out that content. Yeah. But all right. Any uh, last words, Kyle? I'm going to wait until after you have your last words. All right. My last words, go Jets. Peace.